Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. If you are a return listener, I'd be grateful for your rating or review. And if you dig this episode, give us a like or share. And now, whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode helps professional athletes in America's biggest leagues to remove mental barriers and reach the highest levels of their performance. He's worked with NFL and NBA players, Division I athletes, and national level prep athletes. His dedication to growth under pressure and proven results in sports performance have earned him the reputation as one of the top mental performance consultants for high achieving athletes. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Mr. Donovan Mitchell. doing today outstanding appreciate the opportunity to be on here and have a chat about uh mental performance man yeah yeah excited to have you um always uh, i guess lead off with uh what kind of led you into the field of mental performance i always find people's paths and journeys fascinating yeah so um it's kind of a, a weird ride to be honest um so I would tell you, you know, a lot of people in the field of mental performance are kind of like, you know, you got your motivational speakers and you got your former athletes and stuff like that. And my, my path is really um, a, a little different than that. So uh, I was, I played tennis and stuff like that in high school, a little bit in college, got into rugby in college, really loved that. Um, but really the education side of things. So um, I've, I've been a psych major, so I've been working in the field of psychology since I was 18. Um, cool. I mean, I've, I've done it all. I've done from psych ward to community mental health, working with kids, families, you name it. Um, I've done it. Cool. So uh, in that journey, um, I, I got my degrees and then went into different um, areas and then eventually into private practice. Then uh, took over that practice and was building that practice up. And uh, uh, just a few years into having that practice, um, I had a, an incident where I found out I had kidney cancer. And so I had two small children, wife, practice, and um, what's that called? Debt. Yeah, lots <laughs> of that. <laughs> so you know, um, and I bought my practice during the housing bust of 08, 09. So all that good stuff is going on. And then kidney cancer hits. Now, sidebar here, clinically speaking, what I've studied and, and loved to study for years and years and years is a very specific type of anxiety that typically is characteristic of high achieving people. And, and I'll probably go into that a little bit later, yeah. but that's what my focus has been. And that's what I've studied. And and develop models and ideas about. So then the kidney cancer thing happens and, and the way that kind of story goes is, um, you know, I was, I was really busy. Like I said, I had this practice, we had different therapists and uh, I've got my kids and my wife. And so um, basically the truth is, is the doc says, hey, you got cancer, let's go out here and schedule a surgery. And I went out and I said, yeah, I'm really busy. So. I'll probably be free in about two and a half months. And the, the wonderful woman there said, um, you know, they said you have cancer, right? 
And I'm like, yeah, but I'm pretty busy. So, <laughs> so I tried to avoid that pretty much. And um, by the grace of God here, uh, the, they scheduled it for me. And, and um, then about two, uh, two or three days later, I don't know, they called my house and said, hey, the, the surgeon, there's two surgeons that are going to do this. And one of them can't be there on that date. But we didn't know that because it's so far out. And my wife said, what, well, could you tell me what the chart says? My wife's also an RN. Uh So uh, when they read the chart, she gave me a call at my office and said, you have surgery next Wednesday. And I didn't like that very much. Um, But like a good guy, I I said, you're right. Um, With a little protest there. And then the day of that surgery came and I, I failed, man. I just failed miserably I, I like failure like in the fact where i was like well it's 4 30 in the morning there's all females sitting out here in the in the lobby i've seen movies i can get in the bathroom i can sneak out the window it's a guy's bathroom <laughs> you know? um i the poor nurse was like i'm gonna start your iv and i'm like if you miss i'm gonna put that thing in your neck like um i refused to take my wedding ring off i told them i had to wait, wait till i was asleep um just fought the whole thing, man. Yeah. And, yeah. and realized after all that, fast forward the story, um, everything turns out great. Met an amazing guy um, along the way who was my surgeon. Take all this research and stuff I've been doing for all these years, put it with that experience and realize, hey, you failed. So you better start looking at how do you, how do you perform under that kind of pressure? And to me, what's unique about that kind of pressure is there's nothing to control and there's nothing you can avoid. Cancer wins, you know, like you can't, you can't hide from it. You can't control it. It's inside of you. So, so when you get put in that position, what happens? And so I became really passionate about both professionally and personally making sure that that kind of failure won't happen again and so both personally and professionally i've dedicated everything i do to that all my past experiences coming up um i was really lucky coming up i i I went to graduate school in chicago i had a job where i was the the only white guy in the whole building um and and you know i got dunked on and taught all kinds of stuff for two years working there um and and that's helped me immensely in sports um it's just been lots of these experiences that are really unique that i've been fortunate enough to be put in including the cancer experience that has led me to taking all that clinical education and training mix it with all those experiences you find your purpose your passion there and then my i'm real lucky because mine seems to help other people too good that's uh things like my wife's an rn and uh ironically too i hate needles i hate hospitals oh, yeah. uh, like oh my <laughs> yeah. god like yeah like i'm looking for a window yeah I, I i can empathize with that for for sure um yeah. <laughs> what, what you know you talked about kind of the experiences and obviously your education uh mm-hmm. why is it you know especially working with athletes and student athletes and, and some of those aspects why is it so important to, you know, get reps in the mind gym, so to speak, uh, to kind of gain not just a competitive advantage, but, you know, hopefully maybe a life advantage? Right. That's a good question. And I, and I like that question a lot because a lot of people 
they want to spend so much time talking about what the mind gym is. And, and that's the whole, one of the big issues in psych is you can talk about psych stuff, but ultimately it's got to produce something. And so you, you almost want to talk about what does it produce first? Yeah. Right. And so, and so like the mind gym, one of the easiest ways that I've, I've figured out to kind of explain this is if you break people down into like the cognitive behavioral format, just make it real simple. You got what you think, what you feel and what you do. Mm-hmm. And you're in, in do you'd probably add in like your environment, your surroundings. Sure. Most athletes are trained over and over and over to operate from what you think and, and what you do. And, and there's even, you know, we put emotions aside, we turn them off, we go cold, we do this, we do that. Well, look, man, if you're going to operate with two thirds of the package, then you're going to limit yourself. So the advantage to the mind gym, mental performance, sports psych is over the course of time, you learn to operate with all three parts. And if you can operate with all three at the highest level, then obviously you've given yourself the best possibility to be successful. So it's really about activating that, that emotional component because that emotional component is going to fire off to impact how you think and what you do. Because that same athlete that takes the emotions out will tell you they love their sport, which is an emotion. Yeah. As being being a football guy myself, I always try to compare. It's like there's three phases of the game in football. There's three phases, and no no football coach I know would like never practice any special teams and just kind of go into the game and see what happens. You know, with 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 zero plan, zero experience, zero trial. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do that kind of in sometimes our personal or athlete frameworks. Um, I'll you know always kind of already sense your passion. I love it uh, about kind of sports psych and. Is there a mental skill that you love to teach right now that kind of when things come up, like, oh, I love teaching this to student athletes. I think, that, I think probably to student athletes, the thing I love to teach the most is when we get to make the shift and they realize that it's emotion, not a thought. Yeah. When they, when they realize that there's, there's this other variable that they can impact and regulate and then develop ways to do it. Yeah. I also think right now, one of the things that I, I love to work with them on is we talk a lot about like the, a good example would be, okay, you wake up, you got poopy pants, you don't want to go to practice, it's cold out, it's, you know, it's raining and it's going to get cold here and all yeah. this good stuff. Well, what gets you out of bed? What, what makes you go do it? And the answer that I hear most often from them is some mental thing right? Well, I just, you know, willpower, I just focus and do this or I do whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, man, no, you do that because at some point you have to decide you love yourself enough, you accept yourself enough and that you value yourself enough to get your butt out of bed and go do it. Yeah. So it's yeah. the emotion that pulls you out of bed. It's the mental part that gets you to actually go do something with that. Yeah. So, and I try and talk to them a lot about a lot of these habits and things that we have to have to maintain this, these are not like one of my least favorite things to talk about is the term like coping skills or things like that. That just, I just, it's like nails on a chalkboard, man. I can't, I can't do that because this is a way of life. You're, you're a high achieving anxious person. You're going to be this way for your whole life. You're going to work this way your whole life. 
and you're going to brush your damn teeth your whole life, but you don't put that on Instagram. You don't tell anybody about it. You, you don't get all like, today was a great toothbrush. You know, like you just do it because you right. care about yourself enough to do it. Right. So that's, I try and keep it small. I think sports psych has to be delivered in a package where people understand it, can take the, t- take that understanding, develop their own like habits. So we might call it like the same stuff that everybody calls that you're going to talk about breathing and goals and, you know, self-talk and all that. But I want my athletes to create that from a personal and emotional standpoint. So it's, it sticks with them. It means something to them. Cause in my, my mind, that's, what's going to make you actually be able to do it over and over and over. If I say it, Oh, this should be your self-talk. That's just weird. You know, like how should I dictate what you should think? And that personal application is when it actually becomes like we said, you know, what's the product? Oh yeah. You you know, and I think with, you know, you can make suggestions, you know, teach kids, you know, some things that work Mm -hmm. or what science shows, but eventually it has to get to that point. Like you said, if if it's not personal, they're not probably going to apply it. And if they're not personally applying it, what, you know, what's the product of, you know, what we talked about. So um, love that approach. Can you talk a little bit about, I think it just made me think when you're talking about the get out of bed scenario, um, you know, also there are things around like our identity. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes it's like, well, I just do it cause I, I'm an athlete. That's what I do. And I think sometimes those beliefs of what our identity is are powerful, but can be a double-edged sword. Um, can you talk a little bit about how identity might play into some of that? Um, those driving oh. forces. Yeah, I think that's a powerful thing, man, because the identity, especially in student athletes, you know, that's in formation, that's in process, because your identity is going to go with your maturity. So as, as these progress and grow and develop over the course of, of a college, you know, stay, um, you're going to see it evolve, hopefully. And that's what you're really trying to do is help them kind of grow out of that single focus that my identity is this one thing. Yeah. Um, you're, you're much, much more than that, you know, and I, I'm fortunate enough to work with student athletes enough when I, when I can meet them as freshmen, we talk a lot about how this is business now. And if you don't have hobbies and other parts of your identity that you're going to fill out and develop and with the same kind of intensity, passion, interest, then we're going to know each other a lot longer. And the goal is to fire me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think there's some, there's some, you know, back to the productivity, right? Mm-hmm. If, if it produces, then, you know, I always think sometimes too, I guess, I guess it's a weird thing of mine in the world. I love when anybody uses a meditation app, but I'm like, why are you paying for it? <laughs> like, it's weird. Like, I, I, like, yeah. like, yeah. like, like we only started paying for meditation in the last few years, but no, no one like, and I think it opens doors and I've yes, guilty. I've used some, some apps too. So like, but um, yeah, I think that's the, the thing you just want it to be something you take over on your own. Well, and I think that's the difference, man, is that, you know, you can, you can download and pay for a meditation app. And what's the difference between doing that or, or coming and talking to me? Well, the difference is, is that when we have a discussion or several, you're going to figure out how to meditate that works for you. Now, it may not be called traditional meditation, 
right? Yeah. I would tell you 5.30 in the morning in a weight room is real. That's my Zen, man. That's where I meditate. Um, yeah. Sitting in a chair, deep breathing, trying to like focus on my breath. That makes me angry. Like, I don't like that. But yeah. I could go out in the woods and hike for a couple hours, find a cool spot by a stream, sit there, and I could be calm at peace for hours. Man. Yeah. But that's because you got to learn your personality. It's not just trial and error. Let me try this app, that app, this, that, whatever. I heard this podcast, so let me go do that. Yeah. No, I know going to the woods works because I know what kind of person I am. Yeah. So when you can figure that out, that identity – and then apply it, you, you start to develop those habits that are really unique to you that, sure. that you, you kind of protect them, you know, they're, they're yeah. important to you. So you're like, Hey, I put, I put a lot into this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. And they give, they give a little balance to that identity, I think. Right. Yeah, you know I, mean? Sure. I, think that, I mean, make becomes authentic um, mm-hmm. kind of through that way. One of the things uh, I think, you know, when you mentioned kind of the, the, hesitation and the cringing at the word coping skills and those kind of things. And mm-hmm. I noticed on your website, there's a big bold thing and kind of how I feel about some of my work, but uh, it says not a shrink. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, can, can you talk <laughs> about like, just why, like, I mean, of all yeah. the podcasts that people I've had on, you know, sometimes it's like, and even some people want to be like, you know, I am this doctor of, you know, master psychology, shrink psychologist. I just, why do you throw that out there? Because it's not about me. Um, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the person and what's produced between us. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all model. I mean, there's models, but sure. they don't work like that. And the second thing is, is I think with the stigma involved with mental health and people's preconception of what happens in this office or on a virtual call or something like that, sure. I want to blow that up right from the beginning because – you know, I tell people in that very first meeting, I'm not going to be this touchy feely dude. If you want sympathy, call someone else because you're not yeah. getting that from me. Sure. Um, it is 100% about you need to understand how you work, become self-aware. You have to become able to self-regulate that emotion of anxiety. And then you have to be able to develop this ability to test that by getting really uncomfortable in very intentional ways and when you can do that then you can produce your own growth you're not dependent on external sources anymore you don't have to necessarily wait for your moment so to speak you can create moments and so my job is to drive that process and that person so it's a totally different model than what people would typically think about and then the other reason i say that is because some athletes some teams um, and some individuals, they want my help with that growth part, right? And so, um, I mean, I've put plenty of people in teams 50, 60 feet in the air on ropes courses, run them through low ropes. I did a pseudo Navy SEAL training with drown proofing with a basketball team last year. Um, we're going to show up in the weight room, and today we're going to uh, – we're going to test this. We're going to, we're going to throw an extra five on each side. And what do you do when that doubt pops in your head? How do you handle that? Um, we're going to use reflection, um, cognitive eye training, neuro training. So yeah. we'll do like fatigue kind of workouts and then make you stand on the, 
balance ball and do all the light board. Um, I have a wilderness program in the summertime where we'll do like a 12 day through hike. Um, I have former green beret that helps me with that. I mean, so it's not, it's not what you think. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're going to get after it. I mean, that's all there is to it. Yeah. I love it. Love, love those kinds of things. One thing uh, I know I also noticed uh, if you could just share maybe just a little bit and we'll have your website linked up here as well, but uh, can you talk briefly about kind of what, what the triangle process is that you apply? Oh yeah, for sure. So the triangle is, kind of like the the foundation or the base of what we work from. So the triangle has just a couple components here. And essentially what it is, is on, on, it's going to start with understanding your anxiety and how that works. And the, the theory behind this is that high achieving people build up a tolerance to the emotion of anxiety. So in a sense, um, they could be, we'll say, severely anxious. You know, you go typical, mild, moderate, severe, and they're in the mm-hmm. severe range. But to them, they feel fine. They don't notice it. They're told, they're like, yeah, I'm straight. And then it gets up into somatic where you feel it physically, butterflies in the stomach, make you puke before you go out on the field, stuff like that. And then next level is panic. And we know that people like Navy SEALs, Green Berets, their tolerance levels are so high, it's even above panic levels. Right. So, so this is a good thing. This isn't bad. The negative side of that is that below that tolerance level, though, you're fairly unaware of how you feel because you can rationalize it. You're used to it. You're just unaware. You're like, no, I'm straight. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we're trying to help them do there is keep your tolerance really high. So when you step on the field for the Super Bowl last week, you don't, you know, freak out. Sure. But at the same time, let's be self-aware of our emotions as they're moving around so that when we're in that moderate range, we know what that feels like. And then we can kind of lock that in because that's the zone. Yeah. Now, what tends to happen is as that emotion goes up the scale, the focus of our mind goes out. And we start to focus on situations, scenarios, the future, our brain speeds up. So we're like, well, we think about the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. We worry about judgments. We feel a little vulnerable. Everything starts popping off. And then we have two options right there. We're going to try to either control everything and anything and anything that we can't control, we're going to try to avoid. And that's the triangle. The top of the triangle is going to say anxiety and inside the triangle is going to say feel the bottom part of the triangle is going to say what you think and how you behave. And it's going to say control and or avoid. Because if we can get that control or avoidance, then the emotion drops back down, not very far, just down below the line enough that we're, right. we feel straight. Right. So if I can hide in the bathroom and jump out the window, I can avoid that shit and I feel good. Yeah. Even though it's not rational, right? Because it's driven from emotion. Yeah. Right. If I can control this, you know, needle going in my arm, then somehow I'm going to feel less anxious. And that's so what we start to help athletes realize is that, unfortunately, you've been really successful at controlling and avoiding most things in your life. But at some point, there's an end game to that. You create a ceiling because you're going to run into a situation cancer, death, um, 
various other things in sports. You jump up a level. You're not as good. You know, you're a freshman. They're seniors. All this different stuff. Um, and so what, we, what we're trying to teach them is how do I be self-aware and then self-regulate that emotion without the control and without the avoid, both in sport and out of sport. So how do you do that same idea with your wife? How do you, how do you, how do you be self-aware, lock that emotion in and perform really well? Yeah. And, and the last piece of the triangle has to do with, you know, you're doing it right. If at the end of the day or the end of the event or whatever, whenever that happens, you feel a sense of achievement, not relief. So if you feel like, oh, thank goodness that's over, I made it. You didn't do it right because you can't feel achievement and relief at the same time. Your body doesn't work like that. Yeah. So you got to decide which one you want. Yeah. I love it. Well, last question. I uh, always like to ask our guests, um, how do you define or look at success? The ability to be genuine seven days a week, 365 days a year. Love it. Thank you for listening. If something caught your ear as useful or unique this episode, we would love your help spreading the Elevate message. You can find me on Instagram at Elevate Educate Rejuvenate. That's with the numeral instead of the A-T-E. Thank you again. And if I can help you with anything, please reach out. And don't forget, go elevate others.